everyone, and welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast with myself, Jacob Milham. And I got two folks with me tonight. I got Jeremy Greco, as always, though. Jeremy, how you doing tonight, man? Two co-hosts. Hee <laughs> like it i like it well hey we will have brian henry on later on in the podcast to talk about some uh some numbers that's what he always talks about but it is a great conversation you don't want to miss that but for right now we got the one and only greg walker who is sporting a very very nice ball cap i i will say i i very much do appreciate they the creamsicle colorways is what i still call them yeah, last time I was on this podcast, I'm pretty sure I did Wrigley Field for my roles to re-reviews, and I mentioned there was a hat giveaway going on, and this was the hat. So that I was like, man, this is perfect. I could, I could not have purchased a better hat from the team store. I mean, it was just right up my alley. So very appreciative to Wrigley Field. Also, like, the giveaway wasn't even announced or scheduled or anything. So, what? yeah, it was... I noticed that when I was looking at the Cubs schedule, I was like, man, they really don't do very many giveaways. But apparently they just, like, don't necessarily have them on the schedule. It's just, like, a surprise. That's pretty cool. I like I'll take that. It is. But that's what happens when you don't have to have promotions to get fans out to the ballpark. Okay. No, like that's, when uh That's what happens when you're like, I'm not gonna tell you when the promotions are. You better show up every day. That too. That too. That too. Well, hey, before we get too deep into the episode, please go check out RoyalsReview.com. You can also find Royals Review on Twitter and on Facebook. Yes, Greg, I am. Uh, I've I failed at the rebranding Twitter in my mind thing. I'm just going. It's a war of attrition. Or, okay. or maybe, maybe, maybe the failure isn't yours, Jacob. I'm just saying, maybe the <laughs> rebranding failure isn't yours. That's true. That's true. I'm just playing a war of attrition with uh, Elon Musk at this point, and I think I'm winning. I, think. I don't think you really can win that. You can just not lose. You can't force like them to change it back. So the best you could do yeah. is just not buy into the rebrand. It's still Twitter.com, so who cares? I know, right? That's uh, I, I'm taking bets on what the next URL is going to be. Is it going to be oh, like X, X by Elon? X dot XXX, baby. It's, it's Elon Musk, so it's going to be something stupid like X42069.com because he has the mind of a 12-year-old. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Well, hey, while uh, while we're still talking about Twitter, you could always follow the podcast on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod. All Royals all the time over there. But let's go ahead and get right into it with a big league club. Um, he, he's not an ace anymore, but Zach Greinke is landing on the 15-day IL with right elbow soreness. Not a Not a good diagnosis to have at all. Um, the, the beloved left-handed pitcher Taylor Hearn is, uh, was recalled from Omaha to fill his spot. You know, Um, go, there's nothing. I mean, nobody should hate on Taylor Hearn. It's not his fault that all of this stuff happened. Dude's just trying to, to like get to do a job. Okay. Like leave Taylor alone. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh put her on a t-shirt and sell it jeremy i like it leave taylor alone has um, it been announced if he's gonna start or anything like has, has there been anything on that i think so, they're talking zerpa so the the door is still very much open for zerpa he made i think he made only like eight pitches in yeah. tuesday night's game so the missing start is friday that's still plenty of time for him to to get you know good to go for a full-fledged start um speaking of starts they are apparently macotrero is hopeful that granky won't miss more than a couple of starts so it'll probably be a opener and then bullpen sort of situation if they don't make another promotion um i really just want to see anthony veneziano make his major league debut i you, you know me and my and my prospects i just want them all to want them all to play no matter what but it's too Jeremy, bad you get, a, you get a non-prospect and taylor hearn instead and you're gonna like it <sighs> john sherman equals elon musk but older question mark okay. i don't i don't know about that i will say with taylor hearn i mean can it really get much worse than the royals current bullpen i mean come on who's the best reliever on this team right now Tell me. Carlos Hernandez. He has a 420 ERA and 332 <laughs> FIP, and he's our best. Like, it can't get that much worse with Taylor Hearn. 
420. Let's go. I was trying to slide past that part as fast as I could, but yeah. Nope. nope. Coming right back to it. Yeah. And now, I know I know that Hernandez, like that ERA is a little bit inflated because I'm sure he saw on Monday's game that he should have completed that inning, but instead gave up yeah. a walk-off grand slam. And so uh shouts to the first base umpire for that one, whoever that was. I know, right? That was listen, we are just we're just gonna slide right on past that whole conundrum because wow a lot of folks were living after that and uh and and rightfully so that was a, a pretty atrocious call but that is the only major injury update for i will say this though while we're talking about injuries for some reason people still are asking where asa lacy is um he he's he's injured okay just assume until he comes back the, yeah, the, the ambulance is uh, is en route to Ace Lacey in Arizona, who cannot shake this injury bug. Okay, folks, it's uh, he's not just going to crop up out of nowhere and make his Royals debut. This isn't the Royal Rumble, right? His his music isn't going to hit. It's, my God, it's Ace Lacey. Oh, my God. No, that ain't going to happen. All right. He needs, he needs to make a call to Kyle Zimmer. <laughs> God. Man. I I propose that we just all start peppering Andy McCullough on Twitter with "How's Asa Lacy doing?" question <laughs> you used to do with Kyle Zimmer. I think that's the only way to get him to the big leagues. Obviously, obviously, golly, that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ambulances going are, to Arizona. Are you okay, oh, Greg? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I live right next to a fire station, so oh. I get that a lot. <laughs> we love that. We love that. When you're talking well, about hey, injuries, though, it's appropriate. That that is true. That is true. But I do want to, you know, looking at who is with the Royals roster right now, Jeremy, I want to get your thoughts first. If you had to pick someone out of the blue to make Grenke's start for him on Friday, who who would you pick? Oh, Reagan's. No, he, no, he's in the rotation, Jeremy. Okay, he has his own role. More Cole Reagans, no, please. No, no. Overwork him until he's just permanently injured. Chris <laughs> Boobich? God <laughs> Greg, bring, bring some sense to this, please. Who would you pick? I don't like any of the options available, quite frankly. So I'm just – I'm going <laughs> to – I'm gonna I'm gonna just go with Zerpa, even though like I'll, I'll admit I'm not really much of a Zerpa believer. Like I don't know, anytime that I've watched him pitch, I just I don't really know what we're seeing in him that's supposed to get me excited. Like I don't know, he strikes me as just like a spot starter, long man sort of reliever at his best. So I don't know if he can hold on a rotation spot, good for him. But I don't know, I don't see who else you're gonna toss out there, honestly. Unless you want to, unless you want to give Taylor Hearn the start, like that's also an option. Is, is Eric Skoglund still in the Royals system? Maybe we can get him up here. <laughs> no, he was. It was so weird. It was like a Mandela effect because he was pitching for the Complex League team. I think it was like late last year. It was so like just out of the blue. He he popped up. I mean, when Sparkman uh, is he around? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <sighs> so so many good names. So many, so many just gems. Remember when it. Alec Mills couldn't crack the Royals rotation and then he went and pitched a no-hitter for the Cubs? What, uh, what's nope. he done since then? Not pitched in the Royals rotation, that's for sure. <laughs> More than the Royals rotation. I don't know, Brandon He's... Finnegan is in Kansas City. True, true. There you, you go. Just uh, call him up. Let's see who else. I listen. It's it's Austin Cox or bust, right? He he has to get a, a multi inning start, right? That's the that's the way to go. On and I Friday, could always, could always call Max Castillo back up. <sighs> you you want to talk about an uninspiring pitcher? It's uh it's Max Castillo for me. It's the entire organization. What are you talking about? Like every day we can toss out there is uninspiring. Jackson Jackson Poar has looked good a couple times out. I hear maybe <laughs> potentially. Good. Oh my gosh, there's uh, there's yeah, there's not a whole lot of great options to uh, to take that start, but we shall uh, we what shall about wait DeGus? and see. Can Degus pitch? No, Degus is uh, is not a pitcher, Jeremy. We we've talked about this. <laughs> is Brad <Hey>. Keller healthy? <laughs> <laughs> Even if he was, no, no, Greg. I would rather have Chris Bubich tossing with his other arm. Amazing. You would probably have more control still somehow. 
than Brad Keller. You know what I learned? But seriously, out of everybody that's not in the rotation right now, like who could you slot in and be like, yeah, I actually feel good about this. Like, can you name anybody? I no. can't name anybody in the rotation that I would like to have there right now, <laughs> except for Cole Reagan. Oh my god! I have not sold any of my stock on Brady Singer, so I'm still there. Oh, all right. Brady Singer's pitched pretty good lately. That he he's okay. We'll keep him for now, but only for now. I really would like to trade him this off season. So oh, go ahead, sure. keep him in there. Let's let him pitch good, and then let's get rid of him for for some top prospects. Let's go. No, he's going to go to a competitive team and be amazing, honestly. Like, he's going to go fine. to a team in the playoffs and throw, like, seven shutout innings. That's fine. I don't care. Like, when he, when he was at Florida, like, like, as a freshman, sophomore, he just dominated in the College World Series because, obviously, go to the biggest stage, he's going to dominate. So, he's never played for a winning team. I feel like we're just never going to see him as best until a team starts winning. Hey, I just – there's something about him I just don't like. So, I'm perfectly happy for him to go win for another team as long as he brings back a couple good prospects. It's it's time to give Jonathan Heasley a start though, right, Greg? That's, the, <laughs> that's my, that's that's my guy. Yeah, let him let him have it. Tucker Davidson's in the organization now. He pitched no in the more, World Series two years ago. No more vomit <laughs> on the mound, please. <laughs> Yeesh. What, I wonder was that his? Because that was a start. Was that might have been his last start with the Royals? Was when he threw up on the mound. Well, didn't he? Didn't he do it like twice more in the minor leagues after they demoted him? He's done it multiple times. Yeah, man, that's a just, yeah. That's that's not a good look. They all blend together. I can't keep track of all of them. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, en- en- enough about that nonsense. Hey, did you guys see that uh, that John Rave highlight from the Storm Chasers? That was pretty damn impressive, wasn't it? That it was, is some serious focus. Yeah, there's controversy over if it was even a catch. Like I've seen a lot of people saying it hit the wall and like, I've watched it over and over again. And I don't know. Like it is so hard to tell between gets between the ball and the wall. Yeah. Like that, that is a catch. It's uh, it's hard to believe that that's a controversy. I'm sorry. If the ball did hit the wall, it's still impressive enough. That's a catch. Yeah. Yeah, It was ruled a catch on the field. So that's, yeah, that's what counts really. But yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying, eh, I don't know. His, his glove. Yeah, I know, right? That's just a bunch of haters. Yeah, I can't even see them. I'm wearing sunglasses. <laughs> they can't. You can't disprove me, listeners, because this is an audio-only medium. You don't even know what I'm wearing. Oh, dear. Spoiler alert. He's not wearing anything. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, no, not a whole lot of uh, inspiring pitchers to go out there and make the start on Friday. But I am happy to know that they have a, a plus defensive infield behind them. Thanks to Ooh. thanks to Bobby Witt Jr. taking over the MLB lead in outs above average. Um, Greg, I that's think that's all you he's doing, your, right? This is just the defense. Yeah, thing. Bobby Witt. That's just, all he's good for. That, that, that's all he is. He's basically like a, a faster Nicky Lopez, right? All right. That's, yeah, that's all okay. he is. He has a little bit more power, I think. Maybe just a little bit. A, just a smidge hits a, an occasional double yeah I mean, it's been a couple of years since nikki went yard <laughs> that's like, like literally two years yeesh hey and just for all of you um you immaculate grid folks out there nikki lopez did make his first appearance with the braves last night so Woo! you can add him to your uh your royals braves rotation there but Greg, I see you uh, you broke out the, the hater blockers there. So I and you rocking the chain and the creamsicle hat. So I, I gotta ask, what do you what do you think about Bobby Witt and his uh his glove resurgence this season? I will say I'm not all that surprised about it. Now there was a, a piece by Jake Mintz over on Fox Sports from I believe it was written yesterday about Bobby Wood Jr.'s improvement on defense. And Bobby talked a little bit about some of the extra coaching and work that he was doing over the offseason to work on that. Because, like, obviously he is aware of how bad defensively he was last year. Like, he is not ignorant to that. And so he recognized, I need to put in some work on this so I can stay at shortstop. And he did exactly that. And we're seeing the results now because I did a really deep dive over the offseason on Bobby Wood Jr.'s defense because – Every indication as a prospect was that he would be a good defensive shortstop, if not an excellent defensive shortstop. Like every prospect evaluation I read about him said that nobody was questioning him. And then he was terrible last year, inexplicably. And 
when you actually look at a lot of the film, it was just like routine balls that he was booting. Like it wasn't a lack of range. It wasn't that he had a bad or erratic arm. It was just like almost a mental thing of just not being locked in, maybe just not having a really good first step and reactions to the ball off the bat. And he did a lot of work on that, and we're seeing the results now. He's obviously, as you said, leading MLB now in outs above average. He is tied for sixth with a guy named Brenton Doyle, who I've never heard of before, in fielding run value, which is a new stat over on Baseball Savant. And outs above average is a range-only stat. Fielding run value takes into account arm as well as catcher defense, and so this is more of like a, a total defensive value sort of stat. And even by that, Bobby Wood Jr. has been one of the few best defenders in all of baseball. And so... I'm fully convinced in this like defensive turnaround. I'm really not surprised based on the research did it over the off season. And it annoyed me to no end when everybody was ready to stick him at third base already after his rookie season. And I'm so glad now that nobody is saying that anymore. Can we, I'm so glad we've moved on from that. You know, what annoys me and what I would like to move on from is the people who are like Bobby Witt Jr. should stop trying to make every play. He, he got to that ball that no one else could get to, and then he threw it to first, and he couldn't, and the first baseman didn't catch it. Okay, that's not a Bobby Witt problem, y'all. Come on. And man, he makes some highlight plays going after every ball, no matter if he uh, if he can or can't get it right. Right, especially, especially ranging out into the outfield to catch shallow pop ups. Like I don't know, if there's a better infielder in baseball right now. I'm making that play. Like we have seen that play. Like ranging back over the shoulder catches so many times this season and those plays are really really hard to make so the fact that he's able to get to some of those is really really incredible i i will say that you were you're talking about outs above average being a range-based metric bobby wood jr does lead all infielders with three outs above average to his back so in that quadrant you know behind him so that's a i think that's pretty cool if if you ask me no other and what Fernando Tatis, that freak, has uh, has four. Fernando Tatis is, is playing his first season as a full-time outfielder and is already the best defensive outfielder in baseball. Like, that dude is a freak athlete. And that's pretty obvious there. I will say with Bobby, I also think that banning the shift has actually helped him because I noticed when I was diving into, like, the really specific location stats on the field, he especially struggled when he was playing on the second base side of the second base bags, so, like, on the right side of the infield. Like, he just generally struggled when he was playing, like, farther away from the natural shortstop position because, like, on a rate basis, he was even worse at third base than he was at shortstop. And so there's a lot to be said about the positioning as well and how that affected him. And so I imagine a part of it might also be that the Royals are better understanding kind of his capabilities and where he should be playing on the field and factoring that into it. That That's an excellent so, point. Go. Cool. So Bobby Witt Jr. will not become a second baseman in the future. God, if he gets too slow to play shortstop, he'll have to be a third baseman. Got it. No, we could do the whole, like uh, like we were saying with Mondesi for a long time, he moves to center field. <laughs> it's so easy to learn center field after playing yeah. field. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, definitely. At, at the highest level of professional baseball, yeah, super, gotta, super easy for anyone to do that. I got to tell you, when I was in Little League, I, I played second base and right field, and I was – pretty good at him uh i got a game ball for my defense a couple of different times but uh they tried to put me in left field one day and and that's a thing that you see them do all the time oh it's corner outfield it's exactly the same it is not the ball (laughs) looks completely different right field to left field i i just like changing positions is harder than you think it is however hard you think it is it is harder than that i yeah, I I can't I can't speak from experience because I was I was so bad they just kept me at one position. They said, "Okay, you you just focus on on third base. That's it." Yeah, I mean, it generally takes like a, it takes like a special athlete, especially to be able to move from the infield to the outfield and be really good at it. Because when you think of guys that have made that transition, it's Tatis, it's Mookie Betts, it's those guys that are like the elite of the elite, and even they are moving to right field. They're not moving to center. Also, um, I don't think Whit Merrifield was ever a plus outfielder defensively. Oh no, he wasn't. I'm, I'm just, I'm making an awful joke that doesn't really <laughs> land. It's fine. <laughs> well, hey, let, let's move on from that awful joke because I do feel like we have to give some some flowers to Michael Garcia, who we would be talking more about his outs above average rank if Bobby Witt Jr. wasn't in the picture. Um, 
Garcia, he didn't even play. He hasn't even played the entire season, and he's got 11 outs above average at third base, a position that he played a handful of times at the minor league level before becoming the full-time third baseman for the Royals. Um, Jeremy, I do. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Which is more impressive, Bobby Witt Jr.'s defensive turnaround or Michael Garcia succeeding so clearly at the major league level? Oh, I think it's it, for me, it's got to be Michael Garcia. Like Greg was saying, Bobby, you know, there were it, there was some weird stuff in there. And he, he it didn't really make sense that he was going to keep being bad at shortstop. Whereas Michael Garcia, like I was just saying, it's hard to change positions, even positions that we think of as being very similar to each other. Um, and to do that, and, and like I'm talking about, I couldn't do it at the little league level. He's doing it at the major league level, and he's thriving to an insane degree. And we're talking about all these special athletes like Fernando Tatis. Like, I, it's, that's good stuff. That's impressive work by by Michael Garcia. I'm very impressed by him. I agree. Greg, your thoughts? I mean, good for Garcia for kind of doing what he's been doing defensively. I know he had a reputation and prospect evaluators saying coming up through the minors, he was a plus shortstop. And so mm-hmm. he could stick there, but probably wouldn't because of the presence of a certain generational talent who's leading the team in Fangrass War right now. It's good that he has been able to succeed at third base and just make a really smooth transition. Still have a lot of questions about him offensively because he hasn't really hit for like two months now. Like he, he, He's on a hit streak right now, but they're like all singles. And he hasn't been walking at all. And so it's like kind of the definition of empty batting average, but individual singles, not even multi hit games, too. Yeah, it's still, he's still a profile where it's like if he carries like an 85 or a 90 WRC plus and he's a plus defender in an infield spot, that's still a valuable player. Hence why he's tied with Freddie Fermin, which is hilarious for a second on the team in Fangraphs War. (laughs) Yeah. So you have Bobby that's at four, and he's Bobby Wood Jr. is 13th among position players in Fangrass War right now in all of baseball. Like, that's the level he's playing at right now. Garcia and Fermin, which is hilarious, are at 1.7, and nobody else is even above 0.6. And so, like, the fact that Garcia and Fermin are second on the team in war, it's like, okay, good for them, but also that's a major indictment on the rest of this roster. Yeah. yeah. So I got to say 1.7 war for a backup catcher is I, I I like it. I'll take that. Especially he has 162 plate appearances. Like the fact that he's done it in that little <laughs> playing time yeah. is remarkable. Like I don't think his offense is at all sustainable for him, but still like, oh. it's awesome. And no, it definitely is. He's going to be great. It's fine. Don't worry about it. He's, he's, he's uh, already he's accomplished more at the major league level than I ever expected him to. So honestly, anything from here on out is a bonus. I I legitimately did not think he would ever be on a big league roster again after he got re-demoted following the Toronto series last year. Because it was so I thought bad. that was his shot to get his major league hit. He didn't get it. That's a huge bummer. And I will never see him again. And I was very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Here he is being one of the Royals' best players in 2023. I don't think oh. even the most optimistic Fermin supporters could have seen this coming, just to be fair. <laughs> I, I do agree with that. Well, hey, we're going to go ahead and roll right into our reviews for the episode so we can get on to, uh, to Brian Henry's segment. Greg, do you mind starting us off tonight with your review? Uh, yeah, I can start us off. I will be reviewing a novel that I've been reading a little Ooh. bit lately called This Is How You Lose the Time War. Uh, it has two authors whose names I don't remember, so I'm going to slide over my uh, desk here and grab it. For all you listeners out there, he is sprinting across the house right now. So our two Coming authors back. here are Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. So I'm pretty sure they uh, kind of switch back and forth between writing chapters. It follows uh, two, we'll call them agents that are on opposing sides of a time war, which is it's fairly vague on what exactly the time war is. And so... It's almost up to your imagination to some extent. And the the way that it's written is really interesting. It's almost written as like most like there's some exposition and all that, but it's mostly a correspondence between these two rivals that are kind of leaving messages for each other in the field. So it, it's really interesting. I haven't actually finished yet. I'm about two thirds of the way through. But so far, there's been some uh, some twists that I definitely didn't expect the dialogue or even if you if you could even call it dialogue, I guess I should just say the writing style is. It is really interesting to me. It reads in such a fascinating way. And so I, I would recommend it. I can't speak to if the ending's actually any good yet, but I'll get there eventually. 
I'm sure if it's a bad ending, we'll we'll hear about it here in the near future. Yeah, I don't know if I'll do a uh, this is how you lose the time war review part two, but yeah, that's uh, that's the review. This is how you lose a time war by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. I like it. I like it. Jeremy, what you got for us tonight? I am I'm gonna give us a theme, I guess. Okay. Um, a few weeks ago we had uh, we had Lux on from the Royal Deluxe podcast, and uh, he recommended to me. Uh, in our downtime, we were talking about anime, and he recommended to me Steinsgate, said it was his favorite anime. So I watched that, and then I watched the sequel series, um, uh, sequel, kind of a spinoff, Steinsgate Zero, um, and I enjoyed them quite a bit. Uh, they uh, the, the primary series is about uh, kind of a group of college-age kids led by one who fancies himself to be a mad scientist, uh, and they accidentally invent a time machine or at least uh, a device that will allow them to send text messages into the past. Uh, and, and then um, there's all kinds of shenanigans that ensue as they, you know, change their personal histories, but it ends up changing more than they expected. And, and then um, stuff happens and they want to undo it all. Uh, so it's it's really a lot of fun if you're a big anime fan, science fiction fan. Um, time travel is always a bit of a wonky thing to do. Uh, it's, it can be quite difficult, but I think Steinsgate does it in a really interesting way um, that, that doesn't run into... I can't actually think of a plot hole off the top of my head. Um, you know, there's always plot holes in time travel, but it, it does it very well. So, uh, you know, I, I recommend it. Go watch it. It's fun. It's good stuff. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna ruin the whole theme, guys. So I'm I'm really sorry. If uh, if you like to go back in time with music, I guess this will uh, this will fit your there you your go. ideal. Um, Oliver Anthony, a Virginia musician, um, debuted a new song that I really like. It's called Richmond North of Richmond. Um, it is. I've always enjoyed learning more about how. I guess, socially charged old country music was like back in the fifties and the sixties. And this very much captures that it has that, that sound very um, authentic and grounded sound, but talking about some of the, uh, some of the things that we face in the world today, um, I will, I don't want to spoil it for you. I will let you all go listen to it yourself and actually make your own opinion on the song. A link to it will be in the podcast description here below. Um, guys, any any closing thoughts on the Royals or on time travel, apparently? MJ Melendez now has three home runs in his past four games. I want to time travel and and watch the Cole Reagan start on Monday night. Oh <laughs> yeah, watch it in its entirety, not just the strikeouts. Come on, yes. Jeremy. Goodness. Goodness. Well, hey, we are going to go take a quick ad break coming up on the other side. Jeremy and myself will be joined by Brian Henry, where we will be talking about FIP and XFIP. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Royals Rundown podcast with Jake Milham, Jeremy Greco, and Brian Henry. Mr. Royal Treatment is joining us on the show. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? doing a okay jeremy you did you okay i think uh i think we've hit the the numbers part of the show and i i'm I'm curious if you want to keep up man i i'll let you know how's that okay sounds sounds like a plan to me so brian you uh you always bring a a unique flavor to the podcast and to the the website royalsreview.com um, breaking out some of these some of these advanced metrics saber metrics whatever whatever you want to call them um, and it's, it's always important to learn about these because it wasn't that long ago that numbers like OPS were considered a, a niche saber metric. And now here we are. And it seems like that is one of the go-to measuring sticks for a, for a player, you know, long or the long gone are the days of, well, if he has the most RBIs, he's the best, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's not the case anymore. <laughs> and I did, um, a while, a while back, I put out on on Twitter, you know, asking my followers how important a pitcher's win count was in their mm. in their stat line. 
And way back then, some folks were pointing me to different stats to look at. And you're, you're going to talk about one of those stats that came highly recommended to me that I really don't fully understand. So, Brian, why don't you, uh, the floor is yours, my man. We are here to learn. All right. Uh, I just want to talk about FIP and XFIP. I'm talk about both. They're related, I guess, because XFIP is just a, a modification of FIP. Um, uh, but FIP, uh, again, FIP, so uh, it stands for Fielding Independent Pitching. Uh, so what it does is it tries to focus on what the pitcher can control and then give them an ERA-based uh, outcome base uh, that, that is related to kind of what they did rather than what their fielders did. So that's the fielding independent part. So it's trying to strip out the fielding part and only leave the part that the pitcher can handle. I kind of think of it as like the inverse of Babbitt. Um, so uh, instead of the stuff that creates Babbitt, it's all the stuff that doesn't create Babbitt, right? Does that make <laughs> You're, you're taking all the ball and play luck out and you're just leaving the other parts. Um, the reason you want to look at FIP and XFIP is um, really to do with uh, looking at a player going forward um, when they've studied. If you go run correlation matrices, basically on what what would predict somebody's ERA, um, FIP and XFIP are a lot better at predicting ERA than um, ERA is, if that makes sense. So if you take the ERA from 2023 for any of the pitchers in that FIP and the XFIP, and then you correlate those to the next year, the correlation tends to be stronger for FIP and XFIP than it is for ERA itself, because ERA is really noisy. Um, okay. And so that's, that's where I like to use it the most. Um, we'll talk about the drawbacks of it a little bit and kind of how to use it or how I kind of use it a little bit too, because it's not simple i guess um <laughs> yeah uh, I, and there's uh, there's other things trying to do this there's sierra which actually does a pretty good job too i'll talk about why i don't use sierra um as well and um, now the uh, xera stuff which is a little bit different but kind of the same idea uh, okay. another version of it i guess but yep so real, real quick brian this is yep. um we, we were talking about you know, this is more of an advanced number and not quite as common. Where where can folks find this for any Royals pitcher, any major league pitcher out there? Yeah, yeah Fangraphs is always my go-to. Um, All right. So any, any player Fangraphs page, I, I'm on Fangraphs a dozen or more times a day throughout <laughs> the summer. So, um, yeah, that's just where to go if you're checking stuff. So Jeremy was giving me crap the, the other week because I was complaining that Fangraphs was bogging down my RAM for some reason. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, not supposed to do that. I know, right? <laughs> Again, uh, I, I don't have ads on there because I have the pay. Yeah. I pay them oh, and that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does help. Yeah. So. If the ads are your problem, Jacob, stop being cheap. <laughs> you got me there. You got I me will, there. I will say that uh, FIP is available on Baseball Reference as well, which is another oh, web, uh, website that I like to use. It is. I just don't like navigating Baseball Reference as much. So. Uh, yeah, totally. Just yeah, uh, Some people prefer it, and so I want to make sure everyone knows you it, can get it, it either way. Looks, it still looks like it's 1998, and it acts like it's <laughs> 1998. So yeah. it, it's not... And, it's a little different. <laughs> and the FIP on baseball reference and fan graphs are exactly the same. You know, yeah. they have the different they have different WAR, which we'll probably talk about some other time, but their FIP is, is identical. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That is All right, so, so Brian, yeah, it, go go for it, man. Yeah, let's talk about what it is. Um and uh, again, the math here is actually fairly straightforward except for one piece of it. Um, so like I said, it's fielding independent stats. So the only thing they're looking at is um, strikeouts, walks, hit by pitch, home runs. That's it. So those are the outcomes that a pitcher can control. Um, and then you're taking each of those and putting them in a very simple formula and dividing by innings pitched and then adding a constant to it. Um, the only modification here is then for each home run, for each walk, for each hit by pitch, what you're doing is you're multiplying that by a constant. Um, and if you really want to see what those constants are, they're a little bit different year to year. And, and you can go on um, fan graphs and find the table that shows what it was in each year. That constant is, again, going to be the confusing part that I 
I'd have a hard time explaining to you exactly how it does. Uh, it's not actually that crazy, but what it's doing is basically converting the number into something that looks like ERA so that it's readable like an ERA. Um, and that way, when you see 3.00, you know what it means. So that's all the constants are trying to do is try and put it into that scale, if that makes sense. I, okay. I love how, you know, people are always like, oh, these stats, they're so complicated. It's like they've, they've put so much effort into it to make it so that it's yeah. not complicated. You know how ERA works. You know what it looks like. You know what a good one is. So FIP works the same way and, and you don't have to be confused. That's easily my favorite thing about what they, they've done with stuff like that or WRC plus or ERA right. plus, you know, those where it's just to read it. Once you learn it, it's so basic. There's not, there's not that much you need. To, and you don't even have to understand what's going on underneath. Like, you know, exactly. Um, so anyway, that's, that's all you're doing is you're multiplying home run by a constant, adding walks and hit by pitches that are multiplied by a constant, subtracting strikeouts, multiplied by a constant, dividing by innings pitched and then adding an overall constant, and then that becomes the number. Um, so the constants are really the only part that are that would be hard for anybody to, to figure out. Um, XFIP does the same thing, uh, but what it does is it makes one adjustment. Instead of putting home runs in the formula, it puts in fly balls times the log of home run per fly ball. So it's it's taking the rate of home runs times the number of fly balls and converting that into home runs so that if a pitcher has gotten basically too many home runs or not enough home runs based on their bad at ball profiles, um, they're regressing everything to a league average mean um, home run to fly ball rate. Um, that's the only difference. It's the same exact stat otherwise. Huh. Um, so they're, they're doing the same thing. They're just approaching home runs a little bit differently. So that, that's them, trying to uh, account for, uh, that's just trying to account for, you know, basically luck in home. There's there, the, we're already with FIP trying to remove the luck of batted balls. Right. Yeah. And so that one is trying to say, okay, well not all home runs are equal either. Mm -hmm. and, and trying to normalize it a little bit more there too. Okay. And to a certain extent, it gives an advantage to a pitcher who has to pitch all their home games in Cincinnati or, you know, somewhere right. where it's really easy to yeah. knock a ball out of the park, you know? So, um, so it does a little bit of that because they do not have actual park adjustments built into either of these. So there's no right. park adjustments or anything like that. It's really, again, the math was set up to be really basic. So they weren't putting in all the bells and whistles. That's where Sierra, if you want every bell and whistle doing the same thing, that's what Sierra was trying to do is like, literally they're adjusting all of, all of it for everything we know. So like even like um, they adjust home run for fly ball expectation down a little bit if you strike out a lot of batters because bat pitchers who strike out a lot of batters tend to have slightly lower home run fly ball ratios. So that Sierra adds in like it's it's adding in like 40 more things to do the same thing. Um, and, and then it does all the normalization and comes out. You read it the same way, but it's the one that tries to put in every bell and whistle uh, and tries to add in. What does Sierra stand for? Do you remember? Don't even remember. <laughs> it's been so long since I looked at that. Um, the reason I've always ignored Sierra, though, is like basically I have an Occam's razor argument. Um, sure. Not familiar with the the philosophy concept of, but basically uh, Einstein probably said it best of you know make your model as complicated as necessary, but not <laughs> more complicated. It does the same thing. It just does it more complicated, and it doesn't seem to get any better results. So I usually would default to the simpler model because you're just it's just it's a, a, why do all the extra work for nothing basically? What are you getting out of it? Um, so there is a model trying to do all the extra stuff, but it doesn't do it. I've seen some people show it correlates slightly more, but it's such a small amount, like 0.72 versus like 0.68 for XFIP year to year. Gotcha. You know, it's it's just not enough for me to care. Um, when we're talking about things that are noisy anyway. So that's the yeah, math. That's true. Um, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the pitchers in the Royals this year that have under or overperformed relative to it and what I kind of look for um, with that. And then um, that'll hopefully illustrate kind of how I'm actually using it. Because there's a couple things I would caution with FIP and XFIP. Um, actually, what we were talking about just a few minutes ago where you said, hey, I, you know, Lynch had like a two something FIP 
you know, after he came back for a couple starts. I would not use FIP and XFIP without a, a fair number of starts uh, or of, of quite a bit of pitching. It's not the sort of thing that that you want to trust in like a one start sample. You need probably 10 okay. or 15 before you really start seeing what it is. So, um, uh, you know, you need those K rate, you need the K rates and the walk rates and the home run to fly ball rates to kind of stabilize first. And then it stabilizes kind of after, if that makes sense. So, uh, if you go look at the leaderboard for the Royals for pitchers, um, there's, and some, some pitchers are up on one and down on the other. So I've kind of ignored them and I've cut out all the pitchers that have been traded. Um, so there's not a huge list here. So if you kind of look at the guys who are underperforming both uh, FIP and XFIP, um, meaning that their ERA is above their FIP and their XFIP, um, which you hope means that they will do better in the future. Um, Brady Singer, uh, Carl, uh, uh, Carlos Hernandez, Jordan Lyles, Zach Grinke, and Taylor Clark are all in that group. Um, uh, and this brings me to my, I think. my, yeah, my first thing that I look for though is, hey, if if you are overperforming or underperforming, and you say, hey, he's underperforming, he's going to probably do better. Um, if you're underperforming, but your FIP and your XFIP still bad, I don't care. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, you, uh, technically you should be doing better maybe. Um, so Grinky's like 5.53 ERA, his FIP is 5.14 and his XFIP is 4.42. Hey, how much better is he really, you know, it, it's not telling you he's actually supposed to be doing super well. He's only a little bit worse maybe than he should have been maybe he's gotten a little unlucky but it's not it's not signaling anything to me that i think he should be doing a lot better does that make sense so that's the first yeah. thing i kind of look for is 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 it enough for me to care <laughs> i guess would be the first thing <laughs> um and then uh the overperformers are uh, austin cox and daniel lynch um who um they have ERAs that are lower than you would expect based on their FIP and XFIP. Um, oh, hold on, Brian. We, we we don't stand for Austin Cox slander <laughs> on this podcast. How <laughs> dare you? Austin Cox, again, his ERA is 358. Uh, his FIP is pretty in line with that. It's 37, and his XFIP is 489. So it's Man. the home run adjustment because his home run to fly ball rate is 3.6%. Um. I also, when you look at his four and a half walks per nine, he's he's probably a little bit overperforming, I would guess, um, and, and gotten a little bit lucky. Um, but he's done some things well too, and his FIP doesn't doesn't think he's been bad, so uh, it's not real bad. Uh, Lynch, I again, and both of those have both of them have such small samples. I I, I don't know how much to trust their FIP and X FIP anyway. Um, but Lynch, I think, was pitching hurt too, so I. I, I probably wouldn't be paying very much attention to it. So again, the first thing I kind of look for is, are they over or underperforming? And is it by enough for me to care? The second thing I look for is, do they have a history of over or underperformance? Because there are specific pitchers. So again, the first thing I kind of look for is, are they over or underperforming? And is it by enough for me to care? The second thing I look for is, do they have a history of over or underperformance? Because there are specific pitchers who tend to overperform or underperform year after year after year. And then there are other pitchers who bounce up and down and, and are a little bit more what we'd think of as random or, or stochastic. Um, so uh, that's where, like, if you look at uh, Brady Singer, he would be a good example of somebody who year to year, one year he's above his FIP and XFIP, his, his ERA is, the next year he's below, and it, it kind of, goes back and forth so it, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it um, but when you look at somebody like jordan lyles uh jordan lyles um every year except for one in his pro career has had an era above his fip and xfip um hmm. so the fact that his era is above his fip and xfip this year is just kind of what he does uh hmm. which year was it he had one year he had uh 2019 
yeah, he had a 4.15 ERA with a 4.64 and 4.61 FIP and XFIP. So that was the only year his FIP and XFIP were above his ERA. So we expect his ERA to be inflated relative to his FIP and XFIP because that's just he is. It makes sense, I think, that some guys are going to regularly overperform or regularly underperform their FIP because, as we've talked about, it only takes into account, right, the the home runs, the walks, and the hits, and the stri- and strikeouts too. Um, it doesn't take into account quality of contact. Yeah. So if if he's given up lots of hard hit balls that aren't home runs, then he's gonna yeah. he's gonna underperform his FIP. Yeah. So if you consistently have an uh, inflated BABIP, it would definitely drive your FIP up um, for sure, or, or down like that for sure. Um, and he isn't the worst at that, but I mean, and there's some other things. He has some weird home run profile stuff. Uh, Cause you would assume his home run to fly ball rate is really high this year. And it's actually not. Uh, that was one of the things I learned kind of doing this was his fly ball rate is just so high this year. His fly ball rate went up from like 40% to 49%. Oh my goodness. Um, and so when you're, when your fly ball rate increases by almost 25%, you're just going to give up more home runs. Um, and so I think some of it is his home run profile is a little bit weird. Whereas earlier in his career, he did have really high home run to fly ball percents. Um, that hasn't really been the case the last couple of years. It's just that he's giving up more fly balls. So he's getting, letting people get the ball in the air, which does more damage. Right. I mean, that's the whole long jingle revolution thing. Right. So, (laughs) um, so interesting. Um, but that, that's what I would with both of them, that's kind of what I'm doing is just kind of looking at do the FIP and XFIP agree. And if they are um, consistently below or above, then I'm going to assume that's going to probably continue for that pitcher. You can't do that until okay. they've been in the league for several years though. Right. Like that, that's not a, sure. a one year sample thing. So, uh, and especially like fly ball rate stabilization, I think, if I remember is like 400, like home run to fly ball would take like 400 fly balls, something like that to stabilize. Wow. So that could take a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of fly balls. Than, Goodness. I'm not entirely sure how long that would be, but it could take, especially for at least, at least two or three Chris years. Young starts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, that's kind of, I guess the basics of FIP and XFIP. And again, um, if you want that quality of contact piece in, I think that's where the XERA, if you want to add that into the mix for things to look at, because they've added that into the Fangraphs page for all pitchers, like right there next to FIP and XFIP. Um, that's kind of the one that's looking at the quality of contact rather than the, the outcomes. Um, and so those are kind of my go-to. And I, I, get, I would use them more after half a season or so is over kind of looking at the back half of a season or looking at next season more than I would be looking at, Hey, you know, this guy's been good for three weeks and his FIP looks really good. He may, <laughs> you know, that, that could be a lot of noise. So, so it's, it's not one I, I look at quite as frequently as, as some of the other stats, but I mean, you wouldn't want to look at ERA over that short no. of a period of time either. Not really. Not uh, really. I mean, you were talking earlier, like you don't look at a FIP over one start. Yeah, Brady Singer had one start where he had eight shutout innings. That's a zero ERA. Yep. Great. Awesome. He's good now, right? Oh, no, it's one start. Let's, no, let's no take into account a, a little bit more than that. Yeah, no one has a zero ERA. That's not a thing. So, um, yeah, and I'm, Singer's FIP and XFIP have looked really good the last, I think, I think he's up to, I can't remember when he starts now, but since basically May, he looks a little bit more like last year and he's throwing that change up a bit more. So, so I'm starting to think he's got enough that, that maybe, maybe he's come around. Uh, he needs to, and, and he looked good last night, except I mean, he gave up a couple runs, but looked pretty good against a good offense last night. So um, yeah. the only bright spot in the rotation really. Uh, uh, Cole Reagan, Cole Reagan, Reagan excuse you, Brian. <laughs> Reagan's Reagan's is the new everything I know. Um, so although he he earned it, that start a couple nights ago was phenomenal. Oh. So <laughs> actually, I yeah, still can't get over that start. 
I don't I, know that I'll ever be able to get over that start. I watched the replays of the strikeouts. I'm like, I'm feeling down. Let me just watch those strikeouts again. Mm, I feel better now. I I immediately after that start went in and was looking at stuff plus stuff, Texas versus when he's in, in Kansas City. His best pitch by stuff plus is the new slider he's throwing. Wow. Uh, but he doesn't have any super dominant pitches, but he has five pitches that are all average-ish or better. And that's that's something you can work with. So I yeah, yeah I'm pretty if you don't excited. know what's coming excited it's have, above average. Yeah. Pretty excited to have Reagans too. That that could be a one of the first <laughs> trades where you go, wow, this this regime actually does stuff different. So <laughs> And Brian, we'll hey, see. his his FIP is is three point five five after four starts, is man. It? So let's start the overreaction <laughs> party. Let's go. Yeah, but I think his ERA is sub four now too for the year. He's um, let's see here. He's done so, so oddly enough, his his ERA on the year is three point eight six, but that's factoring yeah. in his Texas. Time. Well, that's what I mean. He's pulled it down since leaving Texas. So yeah, that that he has. That he has. So, hey, good, good stuff on on fit, Brian. We uh, we really do appreciate you you coming on and explaining it a little bit more. But if if listeners want a little bit more from you, didn't you just put out an article on Royals Review a few days Yesterday. ago? What, what what was what was that one about again? Freddie Fermin. I ah. looked at the history of twenty uh, eight year old rookies, um, and then kind of a little bit about where Fermin's gotten a little bit lucky but kind of the good and the bad of where he's at. But yeah, he's, he's yeah, an interesting like that one. one. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say Freddie Fermin is the savior of the Kansas city Royals. So I wasn't I, a fan. I would not, I would not hope I would not put savior of, of the Royals onto Freddie Fermin. That seems a bit much, but uh, that's, that's Bobby's I, I, job, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or Cole um, Reagans. Maybe Reagans is now. <laughs> He's the next ace, right? He, that's he uh, that's be. what we're all saying. <laughs> he could be. <laughs> Emphasis on could. He's well, he's the new co-ace. Okay. All right. We have a uh, we have an ace by is, committee. Yeah. When your team is forty games for five hundred, everybody's a savior when they do good, right? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> you can get factual, factual way. If you want to check out that article from Brian, the link to it is in the podcast description wherever you are listening. Um, I have a feeling that's going to be an article that I link back to a lot this offseason for some reason, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of speculation about uh, how important is Freddie Fermin to the next and contending Kansas City Royals. So, but Brian, last, last time, thank you so much for, for coming on and explaining that. Jeremy, do you have any final questions for our math savants on staff? He kept talking about Sierra, and and I was just wondering, did you ever play their their Space Quest games? I always thought those were pretty good. Never played Space Quest, man. Sorry, I was more of a console gamer. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. I mean, me too. But my mom had those, and, and I got to play them too. They're they're pretty quality games even now. They hold up. Yeah, that's good. Heck yeah. <laughs>